0: We remain standing as a way to honor the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning we read from Matthew 28. The words immediately after the resurrection narrative in Matthew 28 tells the story of after the women left the tomb. So they left the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell Jesus' disciples the news. Suddenly Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders, they devised a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers, instructing them, You must say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money. And did as they were directed. And this story is still told among the Jews to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Be seated as you're seated. We'll invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship. Let's pray together. May we hear this day, O God, what we need to hear individually and collectively to be more faithfully and effectively your people in this time and this place, for the world awaits resurrection. In the name of the resurrected one, we pray. Amen. You may be wondering about the Easter anthem and the Easter scripture. We are actually in the season of Easter. Perhaps you were thinking after last Sunday and all of the hoopla and multiple services and Easter lilies and all that, that we were finished, often by the Sunday after Easter, the general sentiment, if any, is Easter is just so last week. I understand this reaction. Because if Easter is only about Jesus and an event in his life 2,000 years ago, it's mildly interesting, but really, what difference does it make? Does it have any power? Or is it good for nothing? My father used to say about things that were insignificant or inconsequential, well, that and 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee somewhere. Is that Easter? Or does Easter matter deeply? What we've said here is that Jesus and Good Friday and Easter Sunday are events more than just history. They are history, but they're more than just history. Mere religious events of the past or simply religious equations in order to get people saved. Instead, we frame this whole story of Jesus as our no and God's yes. Our no, God's yes for every generation. That the sacred presence of God... The holy mystery and energy of life is a presence not just at creation, but here in this very moment that God is present and that God is at work within us and within our context and this holy love that we have experienced God to be. As we've read the scriptures, Hebrew scripture and New Testament scripture, this holy love responds to our no, our rejection, with this resilient yes of love. This love is, is not a feeling, it's a power. This love has the capacity to help people who feel sinful to experience grace and forgiveness and Being born again. It has the capacity to heal people in their broken places. It has the capacity to raise people up. Even people who presume that they are worthless or less than. To create hope in them. To reframe how we live our lives and use our gifts and transform how we relate to each other and this life that we've been given. It's a great story. Here's the problem. The problem is that love is not how the world is organized. We live in this world where love is not the fuel that powers it. Love may be a good thing. Love may be something that we uh, give ourselves to if we have the opportunity. But what fuels us really, and especially the domination systems and powers that define so much of our lives, is not love, but fear. Fear. Fear that wants to control the powerless and create these chains of command so that rules are followed, and if they're not followed, there are consequences. That's the way the world is set up. And frankly... Most of us, myself included, we kind of like that world. It's a predictable world. It's a world that we can manage and control. And it's also, for many of us, a world where we retain the power. As someone said, when you're holding a hand with four aces... You are not interested in redealing the hand. And so the power fears Jesus. Jesus comes along and he wants to reshuffle. He wants to redeal. He wants to say that all of us are created equally and all of us are equally children of God. He wants to make people feel valued and empowered and hopeful and healed and blessed. And do you see how that would just mess things up? So they killed him. They crucified him. But let's not sit in judgment of those who crucify him because most of us, frankly, don't want to redeal the hand either. We are. We're happy with things as they are. Which is why when Jesus rises from the dead, after they've put him down, after they've silenced him, when he shows up again, it's an affront to their power, to their understanding, to to the way things are. It questions our interpretation. Which is why the religious leaders and the political leaders... Respond to resurrection much like parents who have put their kids to bed and have sat down finally for a moment of quiet only to see the child peeking around the corner again. We're not glad to see you. (laughs) So here's what happened. Matthew tells us that the guards went up the chain of command and reported what had happened. They reported that there had been an earthquake, that there had been this messenger, and now the tomb is empty. It's really rather a sad moment in the scripture because I think to myself, what if? What if the guard on that Easter morning had responded in a way? similar to the guard on Good Friday when Jesus breathed his last and the soldier looks and says, truly, this one was the Son of God. This one is the spitting image of the the mystery of... This is it. We just killed the Son of God. What if the guards on Easter morning had come to the realization that what Jesus embodied, what he said, his whole outlook, his whole message was profoundly true. And what if they'd have gone to the chief priest with that message? Or what if the chief priest that day, when hearing the report that the tomb was empty, what if they'd have said, oh my goodness, we were completely wrong." What if they'd have said to themselves, we we were betting on the wrong horse. We hitched our wagon to the wrong horse. Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Instead, these priests, these chief priests who are collaborators with the powers, they decide rather than to be open to the possibility of a new insight, they decide to double down. They decide to double the bet. They've got too much invested. They've gone too far at this point to switch horses, and so they continue on with what they've already proposed. You may connect to this. It's like when you're in a disagreement with, say, your spouse. And... At some point in the dialogue, you realize that what she's saying is right and that you're, oh, but you can't just stop in the middle of the argument. (laughs) I mean, that would, like, throw the world out of kilter. Things would be flying off like the world had... The earth had changed its rotation, so you continue to argue, but you argue harder now because truth has become sort of like a wet blanket on the fire of your moral outrage, and so you've got to find a new way to argue this point. This has never happened in my house. That's what I hear some of you tell me in counseling. (laughs) You double down. That's what the collaborators did. They'd already said no to Jesus. Jesus. But when news comes that the tomb is empty, they double down. They say, no, again. They devise a plan. They gather together a large sum of money. A phrase that we heard earlier in the story, as they gathered a large sum of money to go and talk to Judas. Here again, they gather a large sum of money. Now, Money is neutral. Money, as Wayne Oates told us, is energy concentrated. It can be used for good. We can gather it. We can send it to Morocco. We can do enormous work of love. But you know as well as I do that money gathered in large quantities is dangerous. They gather together a large sum of money and they devise a lie. And they go to the soldiers and they say, here's what you're going to do. You say... That while we were guarding the tomb, we fell asleep. And the disciples came and they stole his dead body out of the tomb. Do you notice how it works? You lie. You implicate yourself. You do the dirty work. And we'll cover for you, they say, if this ever gets back to the Roman governor. And then Matthew writes this story is still told by the Jews, the Jews not being all of the Jewish people, but by these religious collaborators, is still being told to this day, that being Matthew's day. I don't know any Jew today that tells this story, but in Matthew's day, this was what was being told, all in an attempt to silence and repress the hope of resurrection. Resurrection. Why would they do that? It reminds me of the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Where the news of the birth of a baby who will be the king of the Jews comes to the ears of Herod. Remember that story? And how he attempts to squash it, silence it. Saying to the magi, the wise men, when you find out where he is, come tell me because he wanted to kill it. Why would you want to kill the message? Do people really act this way? I read a story this week about a young pastor during the early days of the Civil Rights Movement back in the 1960s. His name was Tom Butts, and he was a had been assigned to a church in Mobile, Alabama, a town that but says had half of the sheets of the city with eye holes cut into them. In other words, it was a bastion for the Ku Klux Klan. He hadn't been there but a couple weeks when a group of men came to his office one afternoon. They sat down to explain to him how things worked. The KKK was very strong. This pastor's brother was a member of the KKK. They worked to silence any kind of hope, any kind of chance for opportunity and healing between races. Reverend, let us explain to you how this works. On the third Sunday of the month, we will gather outside your church as the service begins. We'll put on our robes and regalia. And while you sing the first hymn, we will walk down the center aisle and we will place our money on the altar. Then we'll, we'll go out the side door and we'll take our robes and hoods off and we'll come back in and join you for worship. I have a feeling that those white-sheeted brothers never dreamed that what they were doing was denying the resurrection. If you would have suggested to them that they were somehow opposing God by doing that, they wouldn't, that would not have computed with you. And in fact, if you would have suggested that they were acting like the Jewish leaders after Jesus was raised from the dead, trying to squash the message, well, they, you'd have had a fight on your hands. And I ask myself today, "Where is this true for me? Where is it true for the church I serve? Where do our preferences for the status quo somehow impede the message of resurrection that God is not done, that there's hope in the world where, where do Where does that happen? In my own life. You see, the resurrection wasn't the end to the opposition to doing God's will. As Tom Long says, as the church heads out to do its mission of salvation, the world has its disciples of deceit who also go out committed to the mission of falsehood. Falsehood. Maybe not directly, but subtly and indirectly and maybe even sometimes unconsciously. And one of the saddest lines in the text, Matthew writes, and the soldiers took the money and did as directed. And I wonder how many times has that played out through the ages. But if you keep reading in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, The resurrected Jesus appears again. He comes to his disciples. And he says to them, All authority is committed to me. And you think, oh good. Here's where he's going to get his revenge. Here's where he'll retaliate. Here's where where he'll show them who's boss. He's going to be like that guy in the movie who says, I'm back. Instead what he says is this. You go everywhere. Go to all the nations. And make disciples, make people who follow this message that I have given you, this way that I have shown you. Go make disciples everywhere you go and baptize them, as we did with Kennedy this morning, in the triune name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is, in the name of this heavenly parent who loves us, and in the name of Jesus who embodied this love, and in the name of the Spirit of love, you go baptize them drench people in this love and teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you to do. In other words, go do the work of love. Don't just believe in the work of love. Don't just come in on Sunday and practice singing about the work of love. Go do the work of love. I have a friend named Mark who... I met uh, through something I wrote in the Courier Journal years ago. Mark is Jewish and lives here in our city. And I've, I've learned so much from Mark over the years about how it's what it's like to live in a basically Christian culture. His view of the dominant Christian world that we live in. He was telling me the other day uh, that he had listened to, watched a church service on TV and Easter service on TV where the entire sermon, the entire theme was about proving that Jesus was the Messiah and therefore they were right and everyone else was wrong. Mark said, after 2,000 years, Christianity is still trying to prove its authenticity. It seems to me, he said, we would rather, wouldn't you rather focus your members on how to live out the faith And create a better world here and beyond. Or have I missed something? No Mark, you haven't missed anything. There are contrasting messages. There is the message that seeks to reveal. And there is the message that seeks to conceal. There is the message even within the church that, can, that reveals and other messages that seek to conceal, to quiet, to silence. The collaborators say, cover it up, claim control, deny hope, keep the power, keep your hands in, on the reins of power, whereas the resurrected Jesus comes along and says, hey, let's get out there. Go out into all the world. Let's make disciples who will follow my way of love. Spread this love in my resurrected, liberating, tomb-breaking name. Go out there and do it. No one said it will be easy. To be resurrection people in a Good Friday world will never be easy. Tom Butts found that out. He said to the KKK that day when they came to visit him, "Listen, I can't stop you. I don't have a police force. But I will tell you that if you put money on our altar in the name of the KKK, as you go out the side door, I will scoop that money out up and I will throw it out the door after you." They didn't come back. But they began to intimidate members of the congregation. And when the pastor signed a petition along with African-American pastors in the community asking that the white line be taken away in the buses that kept the blacks in the back and the whites in the front, when he began to stand up for what he believed in, it began to get worse. Attendance began to wane. The money began to dry up. There was a cross burned on the church lawn and then later the home of the parsonage. He got a threatening call one night, and one day someone came to his house to kill him. But in the midst of all that, as the church was almost ready to fold, a supporter walked up into the church office one day, a woman. She didn't stop. She hardly stopped walking. She walked in, laid an envelope down, said, this is a contribution. She turned around and walked away, didn't even leave her name. Inside the envelope were two $100 bills. It's a lot of money back in the 60s. He went home and showed his wife, Look, we've got a supporter. She said, What are you going to do with that? You can't put that in the offering plate. You can't give it to the treasurer. He's a member of the KKK. How are you going to get that into the church system? Pastor knew a banker in a nearby town. He took the hundred dollar bills over there, changed them into twenty dollar bills. The next Sunday when they came to the offertory prayer where every head was bowed and every eye was closed. He took the twenties and he slipped them into each one of the offering plates. He said it was his first experience at money laundering <laughs> but Every week she came back, sometimes 200 300 one week $500, always in $1 bills. Pastor said they still hounded me, and the bishop offered to move me, but I stayed. I felt called to stay. He felt called to stay because he was bearing resurrection, he was revealing what others were trying to conceal. He was speaking up while others were trying to hold down. Where is that story for you? Where are you? Where are we? Being called to practice resurrection with our very lives. Easter is not so last week. Easter is here now for you and me everywhere the powers of fear and darkness and control are at work everywhere in your school in your work in your politics in our community the risen christ waits to come from the tomb and to be revealed by you Let's pray together. O oh God, who raised your Son, our Savior, from dead to alive, praise be to you. May your church that has sung and told this story through the millennia Hear it again and anew so that our lives, our lifestyles, all that we are and have are transformed by the power of your resurrecting love. In the name of love made flesh and love raised from the grave, Jesus Christ the Lord, we pray. Amen.